It has been a good morning in devotion and in in him. For most most people most think when they read their Bible that they have God talking to them. That is, no, that can be true. But you've got to get yourself in the right frame to have God talk with you. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You gotta get a lot of noise in head and heart quieted down. And God so rarely speaks today. Children, if he's if he's talking to you, you are one of the blessed people of God. May it be so this day that he opens our hearts and gives us ears of hearing. Go turn with me to the 46th Psalm. And again, I have spoken to you from this verse. I don't know if it made up the entirety of a message or if it was used in part of one. I don't know. But it was many, many years ago. Uh, so I hope there will be that new this morning for you. And I want to read down through verse number four. Make that verse number five. And speak to you from verse number four. There is a river. And folk, that would make more of a title for a movie. I, I, I read that and I keep thinking somewhere some movie has been made. A river runs through it. Uh, I think the river of no return. I don't know. But it just... It's that. And maybe I should not even have mentioned that to you because your mind will go there. But I want us to look at it as this river from God. Before we read, would you bow with me and join with me as we seek the Lord this morning. Our Father, with the quietness in our soul, 
we bow before you to give thanks that you would bring a people to such a height and bestow upon them such intimate knowledge of thee. And that from time to time when reading the book, we hear the living God and we hear the resurrected Lord of all things speaking. For that we are very grateful and thankful. And yet, Lord, at the same time, there is much grief within that you remain so silent in our day. We don't see those that are being dealt with by thy Spirit. Oh, there's, there's a lot of talk out there of how many we won to the Lord and how many we baptized and all these things. But we just don't hear and we don't see real spiritual conviction. And God bringing one to know who he or she is in Adam. Leaving them without hope until he brings them on to the fount of our Lord Jesus. Father, would you be gracious this morning and speak to our hearts. But for that to be, you must work to prepare us to hear, to receive, and to obey. If we quit obeying, you quit speaking. And one of the verses prominent of knowing thee is knowing thee knowing doctrine when we are obedient to thy will help us this day hearer and preacher to the glory of Christ our Lord in his name we pray Amen. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains, that which is surrounding us for protection, be carried into the midst of the sea. We won't fear. We got one greater than all the mountains around us. We got one greater than any shelter we might run into 
to find safety. Verse 3, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah, all of you stop and pause about that. You know the great disorder that's in our nation today. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. If folk I left, I don't know, three, three pages, just throughout the week, jotting down things concerning this. There is a river. And that produced in me a problem of trying to get it organized somewhat, making it presentable to you, and once again I gave up. I'm just unable to do it, and your only hope is that the Spirit of God will do it for you. For I feel about as adequate in speaking to you about this river to discuss it with you as an elementary student would feel after having visited the Space Center and come back and explain how hydrogen and oxygen were mixed and the ratio in which they were mixed and all the hours Thousands upon thousands of hours with, by men and women with brilliant minds that went into all the calculations to make certain that when that left the earth's atmosphere that it did so in a correct angle and the right window. You know you've heard about them having to, to postpone the weather wouldn't permit it, or in another day the, the position of the earth wasn't right. Just all the hours that went in to knowing how and what to do. Got, it's got to leave the earth's atmosphere. It's got to re-enter the earth's atmosphere at the right angle. And then all, and how all this fuel burning together can produce nearly 93 million horsepower. Now we can't grasp that. We think a three or four hundred horsepower engine is a powerful thing. 93 million horsepower to lift the space shuttle and get it out of Earth's gravitational attraction. Now that's about how I feel. Like someone 
I could even go there and couldn't explain it and wouldn't know what they were talking about if they talked about it. But when it comes to God and His person and His being, I feel like that preschooler or that elementary school student trying to explain the launching of the space shuttle. But listen, there is a river. You and I have been looking and living upon little streams all our lifetime. And most that call themselves Christians, and some may be, have little or no interest in the fountainhead where the river originates. Now in the natural realm, rivers begin with some little stream bubbling up out of, out of the ground or, or just some little fountain head. And as they travel downward, they pick up other, other streams that are spilling into them. And then they become a great, great river. At the beginning, two foot deep. Saw, saw pictures of, of uh, up there in the north where the Mississippi River starts and, and young ones like these boys age out there wading and the water wasn't up to their knees. Only a few feet across it, and you can walk all the way across it. But then you get down into Missouri, and, the, and the, I guess the longest river in the United States, running into the Mississippi, the Missouri running in, and the Mississippi and Missouri coming, coming together above St. Louis. And by the time that gets down to the Gulf, can you imagine the mouth of it? Starting off with a couple of feet across, just a few feet across. And it gets down, it gets down there to the, it's, it's emptying place and it's become the largest river in the United States. Pulpits for the last 75 years have come up with this little teaspoon of water from one little stream from the river and they brought it into the house of God and they said to the people, this is God. No, it's not. It's just a little sight of, a little glimpse of, and our thoughts of God, if ever we have any, they usually, if you're not careful, they usually will arise from a perception in your mind that suits you. You'll make a God that's easy for you to live with. 
And we've become satisfied with a very small God and we don't have any elevated thoughts of God. We think, well, we've grasped all there is to know about God. And we're satisfied with the one religion has fixed. And religion will always fix a God that suits the masses. Now, because from one of these little streams, they, they got this little thimble full of water or this teaspoon full of water, and they bring it back, a lot of what they say is right. Analyzing the drop of water that they got. But there's so much filler. So much mixed in. And the most dangerous person out there is the one that will speak to you a lot of truth and mix in a little error. Paul, speaking about God, he spoke about God depending upon the people that he was writing to or preaching to. That's why you got all of his epistles, Romans, through Hebrews. All of them. All of them are different. And he said, I've not shown to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So if he's writing to the Galatians, he's often in this aspect. If he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's over here. But he's, got, he, he's getting in the whole counsel that he knows of God, the being. Now, if you made your own, or ever here... And this is all you know about God is that He loves and that's His prevailing attribute. Then that God in your mind is the one you think you'll face. And if you think that you're going out to face a God whose greater attribute is love, then, then your lifestyle, your language, your, your friends, it all will be reflected. This is what you think of God and God's love. Therefore, how I live is not of great importance. But at the same time, if you major on the sovereignty of God primarily, and hard things come along in your life, you'll become hard. I know thee, Lord, that thou art a stern, hard taskmaster. And the talent that you gave me, I was afraid to use it, so I went and buried it. Now here it is, it's yours. Got everything you gave me to begin with. God's given you intelligence, natural intelligence. God's given you eyesight. God's given you the ability to hear. God's given you given you a book. Now, if you bury these things, 
Because God's sovereign and He's going to do what He's going to do, whether you apply yourself or, or make use of the talents God's given you, then, then when, the, when the Master comes back and the Lord comes back and says, All right, what have you done with the gifts that I gave you? You say, Well, the Lord didn't spend it on anything, so I got all you gave me. But Job's wife knew. She knew God sovereignly controlled all things. She knew that Job had lost their fortune, that they had lost all of their children, and she knew it was God. And she said to her husband, why don't you just curse God and die? It's his fault. Now I hope to get to get here in a moment to the fountainhead, to the very, very heart of God. But first, let me give you the warning that I received from the old men that I knew were called of God of the last generation, and they still had a little of the unction of God on them. And all of them with one voice were crying aloud, The condition of the church is critical, and dangers are ahead for all of you in the coming generation if you don't take warning and heed to the Word of God. Their voice went unheeded. I was down in Florida, preached at a church, and the pastor took some of us out, and there was this, there was this little spring of water. It was about half the size, that divide the church in half, and it was about that large. Just blue, just crystal, beautiful. And on the, on the edge of that little pool of water, it said, 37 divers, now this was in the 70s, I don't know how many since, have lost their lives. But there's always going to be one coming along that thinks that I can make it. Won't be anything to me. I'm a professional diver. And so they'll try it. It's like a road sign. Oh, as you travel, and it says sharp curve ahead, 15 miles per hour. And this young boy that's just got his license or had him for a short time, he sees no danger in anything, void of common sense. And, and he's taking his buddies in, in his car for a ride, and they dare him. They dare him to try to make the curve doing 70 miles an hour, and all of them end up dead. I had a distant cousin, I was young, very young, that had two or three wrecks where he ran off the road and hit a tree. And he said, the next time that I hit a tree and it doesn't kill me, I'm going to back up and hit it with a, with a greater speed. Well, guess what? He didn't have to back up one time. He dared God. 
And he tried it one time too many. And the other, the other wrecks didn't do anything for him. Tried it again. Fred's mom, Aunt Dew, was telling me about she, she stayed with his mother a lot during funeral, pre-funeral. And she said that his mother was mad at God. Why'd God kill my son? God didn't. He didn't take heed to warnings. I mean, God had warned him several times, watch your speed. Don't lose control of, of your car. And the only time, at times after that, which was two or three, that she ever darted into the doors of the church was to bury her mother, her father, her husband. Never again. Many of you may remember a young teenager and his girlfriend going too fast down the hill past New Hope the church there on the left going down they didn't slow down enough they didn't make the they didn't make the curve and they hit that they hit that big drainage concrete drainage pipe down there both of them dead These signs are on the road for a reason. Now there's a lot of warnings in the Bible. But everybody just keeps daring God. Because we got this little teaspoonful of water out of one of the streams and we've made it we've made our God out of that. Listen, the soul that sinned. It shall die. Be in behavior as becometh godliness. If you are a child of God, God's going to take the rod to you from time to time. Let your life be that which becometh Holiness, godliness, be ye holy, for I am holy. Are you striving towards that? What you say, where you go, who you hang around with, are you? It is appointed unto men once to die. You taking that seriously? sharp curve ahead in your life and you might be approaching it well past the speed limit. God just threw that in. I want you to get back to not one stream or two streams or three streams that flow from this great river but begin to follow them 
Now this is reverse. In nature you begin with this little strain. In the spiritual you begin with this that no one can explain, no one can expound. You begin with this great river flowing from God. And to get to that, you've got to get to God from that little spring that bubbles up here and there. That's the starting point. And there at the beginning point, that little stream, that small little stream, you find forgiveness and pardon and mercy and grace and peace with God and acceptance with Him. And the peace of God is that that is felt and known and realized in your soul. It's not a peace that somebody, somebody has said to you, well, now you're saved. It's from God. All that I've just mentioned were preceded. When you got to that little fountain, small stream, all that you found, forgiveness and peace and mercy, was preceded by godly, true repentance. And by the faith of Christ being implanted in your heart. And from that small gate or entrance... As you journey upstream, you begin to see the vastness of the river. Look, children, beyond that which religion has made. And follow the stream. But this one runs contrary. See, if we got in a in that stream of the Mississippi that was large enough, that'd probably be most places that we wouldn't have to do anything. The current would be flowing south, gravity pulling it down south. But we're starting down here at that little fountainhead, and you can't lay the oars aside. You can't quit. You're fighting against the current of nature, the current of the devil, the current of the world, of your own imaginations and your own talks. But see if you can put aside this little God. It's all you hear about. And begin to see if you can think of the vastness of God. Look at the mouth of the river. And that's from the heart of God. As, as the old beloved Capper said, there since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply. Streams thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. By faith, got to that little stream, found God, found forgiveness in His Son, and redeeming love has been my theme. There are two places this morning that I want you to look with me. Ezekiel 47.
it brings out in word, in picture form. That which I am trying to get across to you. There is a river, the streams. The streams make glad the city of God. Now you got to drink at the streams. You can't begin with the vastness of God. But years of thinking and meditating and reading and hearing, it leads you out of the shallowness of religion in our day. Ezekiel 47 verse 1, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward, and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looked eastward. And behold, there ran water, ran out waters on the right side. And when the man, if you, I, I can't tell you now, maybe 44, or shortly, a few chapters previous to this, it describes the man that Ezekiel met and the man that he's talking about. And when the man that had had the line in his hand went forward eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, the waters were up to the ankles. Again he measured a thousand cubits, and brought me through the waters, the waters were to the knees. Again he measured a thousand, and brought me through, the waters were to the loins. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Now you look at that, and then you you got a fellow trying to speak to you about the vastness of God. And, and it is from his heart the very heart of God, where the river begins. I tell you about hearing some of the old men that still had the unction on, and how my my heart was moved Godward then, sitting there listening to them, and then. At some of these conferences, they'd bring up this well-known evangelist in America, and his his message was about as shallow as could ever be. And some of these folk would be up jumping, hollering, running around that open tabernacle that would see over a thousand. And it created a problem with me. What are they getting? What are they hearing that I'm not? 
And I went home feeling guilty. And it took several years looking back, thinking, no, these, these people, they just stuck their little toe in the water and began shouting, running around the tabernacle. Most of them are either out of the ministry altogether or you never hear anything about them. But this river, we try, we try to drink of the streams. But on earth, as I've told you, the river begins with a small fountainhead. God, making you know who and what you are. God, setting Christ before you as your only hope. But reverse it. Now that you're in the gate, now that the man has brought you a thousand cubics out into the river and cycled deep, and now he's brought you another thousand cubics from when you started 20 years ago, and, and it's up to your loins. You can't quit. You can't stop anywhere. You've got to keep on, for there's more of God than ever we can know. And His heart's bigger and vaster than ever we can perceive or understand. This river's as big and as vast as the very heart of God. Quit if you've stopped. And you've been waiting around in this little kiddie pool. Get on out and wait up from that fountain all the way to the very being of God as high as He will take you by spirit. Oh, you too. Proverbs 8. Proverbs chapter number 8. This is Christ speaking. Verse 23. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When... There were no fountains abounding with water. The only fountain when Christ was brought forth there in in uh, in the book of Genesis. I don't know when there was a separation from God the Father and God the Son, though they remain one, equal in everything, every aspect, yet they were separated there. Before the fountains were ever, or the hills, brought forth, no fountains were water, except in the very heart of God and in the mind of God. God had a people. 
God had a people that would be, be sinners. And that brought about the separation between the Father and the Son. And one dark night over there in the little town of Bethlehem, there in a manger's translated stall in another place, they lay baby Jesus. He who had emptied himself and laid aside his glory, there laying with that infant's inability and feebleness and helplessness and, and that condition that if he got anywhere, somebody had to take him. And if, he were, and if he, his body was nourished, somebody had to feed him. There in that, in that old trough, my Lord had taken my nature and then follow, follow that stream and a few years later you see him in the carpenter's shop, splinters in his hands, rough hands. Later on, traveling over the hills, through the valleys, over the, over, over the oceans or lakes, Follow him on, and there you see one night in, in that dark garden of Gethsemane, you see the sorrow and the sweat flowing down from him. That fountain was flowing, but the greater part was flowing just a few hours later when they nailed him to an old bloody cross. There on that cross, my sins and iniquities, he took on himself and he began, he began, we began to see the heart of God. We saw it a little in the manger and him taking our nature and we saw it on Calvary in its fullest as the heart of God is revealed. Genesis 1 those sad chapters in the gospel for the Son of God because of my sins nailed to a cross. Your love, your loves had a beginning point when you found someone, when the children were born. It had a beginning point. Not with God. There wasn't a time when he didn't love. Was not a time when in his mind he thought, I'll have mercy on that one. Never been a time when His kindness and His grace and His long suffering were called into being. They always have been. You just had to get to the right place to find out. You had to get upstream a little bit to begin to see the heart of God revealed. Now all of the attributes of God, they've branched off into small streams where you begin. You drowned in that river, any of us would. Christ said to the disciples, I've got many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. 
His forgiveness, His love, His gentleness. More than that mother that would cradle in her arms that sick baby. Or greater than that of the shepherd picking up that little lamb with a broke leg and putting it on his shoulders and carrying it. More than a father embracing a prodigal son that's returned. God's greater than any earthly comparison that I could ever, ever think about. But the entrance to God is as broad as God himself, as the very heart of God. Yet on earth the entrance to God is so narrow. At the gate, at the door, you'll have everything stripped from you. You take a flight... You empty your pockets and everything about you and you put it in a basket that goes down a conveyor belt. And then they run this up and down around and make sure. When you get in the gate, God empties you of everything. Everything. But the more you follow the stream, the broader it gets as it leads you to the fountainhead. You saw a little coming through the gate. God has saved me. But folk, if we could ever begin viewing and thinking of God in His vastness and the river, the river as broad as God Himself that we could not swim in, If we'd ever begin thinking like that, we might get to the place where our daily lives mattered. Where God mattered in our daily lives. Where we were concerned with our thoughts before God. I know that I talk sometimes when I should be listening, and oft times I am reminded of that in the multitude of words that are like if not seen. But I am so cautious of my thoughts of God and thinking before Him. And so cautious, so cautious when I get to the closet. Something doesn't pass through my mind that I let linger. You can't keep them from passing through, but I don't let linger. In my activity in public... down the streets of New York City with thousands of people all around I'm sitting in my home when I become God conscious I'm as much concerned when I'm all by myself as I am when I'm in public but put your little teaspoon down and begin wading upstream 
to find out about this God that you call your God.